turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2 as we uh, look again. We're, we're going to look again at who are you really working for. And uh, kind of the main theme of this series, God at Work, is that Jesus transforms our work into worship. Jesus transforms our work into worship. doesn't matter what kind of work you do. doesn't matter how much you're paid. doesn't matter what you do, where you do it. You can worship God while you work. The goal is to identify with King Jesus in our work rather than making an idol of our work and rather than being idle in our work. Those are kind of the two extremes, the two distortions that we've been looking for. Now, yesterday, or yesterday, last week, last week we looked at who are you really working for? And I told you that I had put in there uh, these last set of uh, principles of that you've been set free to work. Well, one of those principles has to do with rest. And I thought, you know, rest, that's just, that's a, that needs to be a whole lesson, you know, in this series. And so we're going to go back. We're going to read. We're, we're going to look at those because we didn't really. It was just kind of thrown in there for your 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 benefit. But so we're going to look at those again. But we're going to really highlight rest in that. But just to review on where we where we've come from last week, we've been set free to work for the King. And I and I like this quote that you have there in your notes. Being a Christian in the workplace means the truth of the gospel should work itself out in every detail of your life, including your job. And if you're like me, and if you're like most Christians, we need some help on how to work out in detail, consciously, how does the gospel impact my work. And so last week we saw, in Christ, you're a new creation with a new what? You're a new creation with a new job, with a new job overall. That was the main principle, number one. In Christ, you're a new creation, and we live in this tension between the now and the not yet. We are new creations. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation, and yet God hasn't yet made all things new. So you're a new creation in an old work environment, and that's why it's hard to be a Christian on the job. But the good news is, As a new creation, and as uh, Jeff said, you're a new creation with a new boss who is the king over everything. And you have a new assignment from the king to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love others as yourself, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you have a new confidence. There's a new confidence in the king, and there is a new reward from the king. So that's kind of a visual overview of the new creation attitude towards work. And we took that and we applied it to Onesimus and Philemon, Onesimus the slave, Philemon the master, and saw how that transformed in that little book of Philemon. I'd encourage you to read it. You could read it in less than five minutes. It will take a lifetime to mine the truths that are in there. And we ended last week with this question. Do people want what you're showing them at work? Are You and I showing people a new creation, attitude, and mentality at work. And does how you are working on Monday make them thirsty for more of the God you say you worship on Sundays? Good question. How'd that go last week? How'd that go? What was it like? Or are you sitting here like I can often do, like it's easy to do, Oh, yeah, that's right. Last Sunday we were talking about this. And then I worked. 
And now I'm back here again going, oh yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I, I want to do that. And Monday's coming. So how are we doing that? Well, I hope that going a little more in depth, especially in the rest part, we'll see. So here, here's the second principle, and here's what we want to look at this morning. In Christ, you've been set free to work for the king. When you're working, when you know who you're working for, it sets you free. And I'm going to show you six areas, but we're going to highlight and really drill down on the idea of rest and work. So let, let's look at these and, and move through the first uh, four very quickly, and then we'll look at rest. Number one, working for the king sets you free to worship God through your work. To worship God through your work. And I want you to look at Colossians 2. Hope you're already there. Colossians 2. Look at Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Powerful, power, powerful verses. And they come before Colossians 3 where it talks about our jobs. Look at Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord. And the way that that's written, the emphasis that Paul wants us to see is you at salvation have received Jesus as King, as Lord. As you have received Jesus Christ as Lord, so walk in Him. So, He was King, He had to be King to save you. Now, live that way on a daily basis. Well, you can take that verse, a part of our walk is our work. So let's read it this way, verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so work in Him. Work that way. Work for Him that way. At your work, live and work as though Jesus were King and Lord. Verse 7, having been firmly rooted, now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. That verse applies as much to work. And here's the idea. Everything you do is from God, it's through God, and it's for God. Everything you do is from Christ, it's through Christ, and it's for Christ. And that's a mentality that we have to remind ourselves of on a daily basis. I don't think that naturally, right? I don't get up in the morning naturally thinking everything that's going to happen today is from Him, through Him, and for Him. That's one of the reasons why we connect with God through prayer and His Word is to be reminded of that. And I can honestly say, when I get in His Word, I'm reminded of those truths. I'm reminded, wow, it's all from Him. Wow, it's all through Him. Wow, it's all for Him. Oh, Lord, forgive me for being so self-independent, for or self-reliant, and so independent of relying on You. Lord, I need to reconnect. Everything needs to worship. Now, how does this work and work? Well, let me help you with kind of three examples. First of all, when things go well at work, we should rejoice and thank God for it. You ever thought about that? I mean, some things do go right at work. Am I correct? There are rare days in, in the months that things go right at work. And when they do, we should say, thanks, God. Yeah, but it was unsafe people doing unsafe things. I don't get it. Oh, yeah, but that's God's common grace. That's how we worship God. God, everything's from you, through you, and for you. And so whether these people recognize it or not, it was good that we made a profit this week. It was good that that report I gave went well. It was good that I got a positive work review. Lord, I thank you. I acknowledge 
that you're at work, at my work. That's worshiping through your work. Here's another thing. Things don't always go well. Often things go bad at work. So how do you worship God through when things go bad at work? Whether you're working in the home as a stay-at-home mom or whether you're working in a job, it doesn't matter. The same thing goes. When it goes bad, you trust His coming kingdom will make it right in the end. Lord, I don't think I'm getting paid what I ought to get paid. I, I think I deserve that promotion and I didn't get it. You know what, Lord? I can address that through the proper channels. I, I, I can deal with it. But at the end of the day, if I don't get what I think I deserve, guess what? You're going to make it right in the end. I have a higher boss that I can go to. I have a just judge that at the end of my life, in the end of this life, he's going to make all things right. I can trust him. I don't have to react like an unsafe person who's doing this all in their own power. So when things go by, bad, I can trust his coming kingdom will make it right and will punish wrongdoers. Hey, there's a lot of, of theft. There's a lot of injustice in the workplace. Would you agree? There's a lot of injustice. And when things are done wrong or people are done wrong, again, you try to address them through the proper channels. But at the end of the day, Jesus has taken notes. And we've seen this in the book of Colossians. He, he, he and without part, and here's the sobering part, is when I do things wrong, he takes note. And when things are done wrong to me, he takes note. So he's without partiality. He will make things right. And we can rest in that. We can rest in that. And here's another thing. When others do you wrong at work, and that happens. When others do you wrong, how do you worship through your work? You show them the same grace that your boss shows you when you do him wrong. You show others the same long-suffering that God has shown me. Boy, he's been long-suffering with me. Has he been with you? That's what we're supposed to show to our coworkers when they do us wrong. We can worship through our work. So, Number one, you've been set free to worship God through your work. I've given you three simple ways to do that. There's many others. There's many others, but I gave you some. Number two, working for the king sets you free to serve others unselfishly. Working for the king sets you free to serve others unselfishly. You want to revolutionize your witness in the workplace. Begin to do kind acts for other people. There's a novel thought. Serve my coworkers, right? Okay? Now, here's listen to this. Turn to Colossians 3. Uh, 3 I, I have one, uh, 3, 1 through 14. It should be 3, 1. Well, actually, it is 1 through 14. But we're only going to read verses 1 through 4. Look at Colossians 3. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 sets the pace for all the instructions about work that come in chapter 3. Uh, 1 through 14. It starts to come, it, it just sets the pace. Look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. Now look at verse 4. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Those verses are powerful verses saying, 
identify yourself with Jesus. Your life is secure. He's got your backside covered. That means you can risk serving others and not having to look just out for yourself. Your life is hidden Christ. Think about the things above. I'm living for a bigger purpose. That, therefore, I, I, I can, I'm kind of free to not worry about me and focus on you. Okay? Now here's, I'm just giving you a little, little acts of kindness on a day-to-day basis make a big impact in the workplace. Little acts of kindness. Now, one thing I like to do during the, my day and during, during my week, I like to look for someone who I call my hero for the day. And my hero for the day is people that I have to interact with, with that serve me. And, and like, so if I'm on the phone on a, on, on a service call and, and I'm on a phone and, and somebody works out a problem on my credit card or works out a problem on something I bought and they work it out and they just, they just do their job with excellence and they work it out. You know what I tell them? You're my hero for the day. Now, you know what they say? They laugh. They laugh, but it's a laugh of, oh, that felt really good. No one's told me that recently. You're my hero for the day. And you would be amazed at what that does for people. You're my hero for the day. It builds them up. Sometimes I have two or three. Sometimes I don't have anybody for a week. But it, it's, a, it's a great thing to do. But here's what you could do. Just like those people get built up by that. Because what are they doing? They're doing their everyday job, but not a lot of people recognize them for it. Are you with me? Now, we can be someone's hero for the day at work. Now, they may not recognize you as that, and they may not tell you, hey, you were just my hero for the day. But you can be their hero for the day, doing the same, your job with excellence and, and with, with unselfishness. So, you're set free to serve others unselfishly. Number three, working for the king sets you free to trust God with your work. To trust God with your work. Again, look at Colossians 3 now, 24 through 25. You're moving through the book of Colossians. The, the, all these principles are just moving to you through the book of Colossians. Look at Colossians 3, 24 and 25. Here's two areas where you can trust God with your work. In verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. Okay, so I can trust God with my work when I'm not recognized and rewarded like I think I ought to be. Trust God. He's got you covered. But then look at verse 25. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Hey, when you get done at, uh, wrong, didn't get done wrong at work, you can trust God with that as well. Okay, I, get, I got done wrong, and the guy that did me wrong got promoted. What's up with that? God will take care of that. Trust God through your work. Now, why do I say trust God? Because we worry about our work. So right now, what, what, what is that thing about your job right now? Or for some of us, we lost our job. What is it about your job that you're worried about? What is it about, what, what specific thing or things are you worried about right now in your job? Well, guess what? You can't worry and trust at the same time. You're either doing one or the other. So in Matthew 6... The very passage that talks about no one can serve two masters, for you will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. You cannot serve God in your work. 
He then goes on in the next, I don't know how many verses, six, seven verses, and talks about what? He talks about worry. He says, look, if you're trusting God, you don't worry. And if you're worrying, what are you not doing? You're not trusting God. And so in this passage that says, serve the Lord your God and trust Him, worry is mentioned five times in that passage, and three times it says, do not worry. And it says, don't worry about how you're going to make ends meet. Don't worry about how you're going to clothe yourself, feed yourself. Trusting and worry do not go together. So, and this is a hard one, but this is true. Even if your worst fears comes true, your worst fear about work, it's because the God who loves you and who works all things together for good has allowed it to happen. And so even there, we can trust God, even when the worst things happen. Okay? Number four, working for the king sets you free to excel at your work no matter what. To excel at your work no matter what. Now, why is that? Most of us, you know, it's the old carrot at the end of the stick, right? What is it that uh, motivates us to work better? Promotion and pay raises. Okay, those are two significant things that help us, motivate us. But the problem with promotion and pay raises are twofold. First of all, if you keep getting them, eventually you get all that you want. And you find that it doesn't satisfy. Now what's going to motivate you at work? Now, maybe for most of us here, we haven't experienced that experience of having gotten all the pay raises and promotions that we want, and we're at the top of the ladder, and we're finding out, hey, the ladder's leaned against the wrong wall. It's not fulfilling. But the other thing we may have experienced, the other thing about that is there comes a time where there's no more pay raises. You've hit the ceiling. There's a time where you're not going to be promoted anymore. Now what's going to motivate you? Okay, it's called midlife crisis, okay, but it happens, and there you are, okay. I'm not getting any more, I may get a cost of living, that'd be glorious, but I'm probably not going to get any more raises, I'm not getting any more promotion. Now, what's going to motivate me? Well, here's what motivates you. Whatever you do, do it heartily for who? For the Lord. You do it for the Lord. Listen, working for the king has the potential to always be motivating and rewarding. Why did I say potential? Because if you don't determine to work for him, then it won't motivate you. Who are you working for? Who are you working for? Okay, that gets us to rest. Let's look at rest. Working for the king sets you free to rest from your work without guilt or worry. And those two ideas of guilt and worry are very important. So, working for the king sets you free to rest. Now... Work and rest go together like peanut butter and jelly, like Batman and Robin, and like Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Okay, two out of three, not bad. Just threw that in to see if you were still awake. Work without rest is a rut. Work without rest is a rut. And you know they say what a rut is. It's a coffin with both ends kicked out of it. And that's true. Uh, Work without rest is the treadmill of the tyranny. It's the fast lane in the rat race, and it's the birthplace of burnout. Work without rest is a rut. But did you know that rest without work is a bore? 
Rest without work is a rut. It's a bore too. Rest without work is no longer refreshing, no longer relaxing, no longer renewing. it's, It's the way God created life. Listen, we think unending rest without work is, 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 pardon the, you know, it's nirvana, it's heaven, it's the ultimate. But the reality is, have you ever been on an extended vacation? You've all probably felt this if you've ever been on an extended vacation. All of a sudden you're like, okay, I can only, I can only handle this so long. I, I, I want to do something of meaning of significance. So both, they go together, work and rest. Let me give you six biblical reasons why work and rest go together. First one is this. God rested after six days of creation work. Work and rest go together because God rested. And you can read about it in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. It's just very, in fact, he, he, he took the seventh day and he sanctified it. He set it apart. He blessed it. And he said, this is special. I worked. Now I'm done working on creation and I'm going to rest. Work and rest go together. Number two, God commanded Israel to rest after six days of work and to let the land rest after working it for six years. This is the fourth commandment. So again, you can look it up at Exodus 20. The fourth commandment is God rested from his work. As my people, I want you to rest from your work as well. Look at number three. Number three, God gave Israel rest in the promised land after their work of conquering God's enemies. So they conquered God's enemies, and after they had conquered the enemies, the promised land is called a place of rest. And as I said previously, as they got into the land, so they're they're now in the land, and it's a land of rest, which also means protection from enemies, enjoyment of the fruit of the land, and, and they've done their work, and now they're enjoying the fruit of their labors. And every six years, there was supposed to be one year of rest for the land. Uh, so they were to work the land, harvest the land, plant the crop every six years. And then on the seventh year, they were let, to let the land rest. Well, Israel didn't do that. And after um, 70 of these 70 years, they failed to do it, which meant a total of 490 years. So if you go, you know, every seven years, every six years, you have a land of rest. And so 70 of those would equal 490 years. So here's the point of that. Idolatry does not recognize God's sovereignty over our lives. And so in disobedience to God, they said, we're going to keep working the land. We're going to keep working it. We're not going to rest. We're not going to rest. So God added up these years, and guess what? He put them into captivity in Babylon for how many years? Seventy years. In other words, God said, the land's going to rest. Work and rest go together. You, in your idolatry, in your disobedience, you refuse to do that. So guess what? I'm taking you out of that land, and that land had rest from the people of Israel working it for 70 years. Now, I throw that out to you just to show you work and rest go together, and God's really serious about it, okay? He's real serious about it. Number four, Jesus' ministry on earth followed a flexible cycle of work and rest. Now, why I say flexible, because Jesus didn't have a time clock for him and his 12 disciples, and they'd say, okay, we're going to minister six days, 
and then now we're not going to minister at all, or, you know, we're going to put in our eight hours, and then we're not going to minister. There were days when these guys ministered and worked so hard that they didn't even have time to eat. People were literally lined up out the door, and they had, but after his hardest day, his busiest day, guess what Jesus did? He rose up early, he rose up early, and he rested. He got alone, and he rested. In fact, it says this. He, he even required his disciples to do this. Listen to Mark 6.31. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secu- secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. So it was built into Jesus' ministry cycle. Work, rest. Work, rest. Number five. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father after accomplishing His work of redemption. This is really cool. Jesus came to accomplish redemption. He lived a perfect life and worked at that. He he died a perfect death and He worked at that. And then He rose again. He ascended to the Father. And guess what He got to do? He got to sit down. Now, you guys can relate to that, especially you ladies. You work hard and you go... Whoo! You sit down, and what do you say? This is the what? The first time I've been able to rest the whole day. This is the first time I sat down the whole day. You know what Jesus was doing when he sat down? He was saying, look, it is finished. My work is completed. And so in the book of Hebrews, it says this. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all times, here's what it says, sat down at the right hand of the Father, waiting from that time onward until his enemies will be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, he is perfected for all time those who were sacrificed. Jesus worked, and then Jesus rested. And here's number six. God's provided a present rest for us in Christ so that we no longer seek to work for our salvation. You see, we were working, working, and Jesus said, I'm your rest, put your faith in me, and guess what? You don't have to try to earn your salvation anymore. There is rest in me. But look at what else it says. And there is a future rest in the coming millennial kingdom and new creation where we will rest having overcome our enemies. Remember what rest in the promised land is? Well, guess what? Right now, it's not time to spiritually rest. Right now, it's a time to put on your armor. Right now, it's a time to be vigilant. It's a time to work for the Lord. Work while it's yet day, uh, for the night is coming. But one day, when He comes back, we're going to be in that millennial kingdom, and our new boss is going to be on the earth, and we're going to be at rest and our enemies will be vanquished. The devil would be, will be bound. He'll be cast into the lake of fire. And we're going to have real rest. But note what it says. But we will still work for the king. Rest is not inactivity. We're going to be working for all of eternity. But it's going to be a restful work. It's going to be a refreshing work. Anybody looking forward to that? Anybody ready for that? Well, you bet. And you ought to be excited about it. And you ought to be looking forward to it. Now, what's rest? Let me give you three real practical definitions. What is rest? What are we talking about? Well, first of all, this is cool. 
Rest is a call from our Creator God to a healthy rhythm in a productive work cycle. The Creator is calling you to rest to a healthy rhythm in productive work cycle. Listen, if you want to work better, if you want to get more production out of your work, what do you need to do? You need to have periodic times of rest. And you know why that is? God created us that way. He created creation in this, this you know, why is our calendar the way it is? Why do we have a weekend in our calendar? Why do we work? And then we have the scheduled time. Now, in our culture, it's like two days. But basically... It's a part of creation. It's part of the cre- It's how you and I are wired. And if you do not work this rhythm into your life, you will burn out. You will get depressed, and you will seek other ways to satisfy your longing for rest, and they will be sinful. You will seek release. This some of the best ways to overcome the temptation of lust. And pornography is to get good night's sleep. To not be up late at night. To not be burning the candle at both ends. To where you feel unfulfilled and unrestful. And then you find that rest and that pleasure in sinful ways of satisfying your flesh. And for that momentary burst of of satisfaction and pleasure, for a moment you feel rest and release. But then it doesn't, it's not satisfying. I'm telling you, there are spiritual dynamics of just sleeping and resting in the warfare against lust. And so it's a call from God. Our Creator is a gracious God who calls us not to endless labor, but to a healthy rhythm of work and rest. So it's a call from your Creator God. Answer it. Number two, it's a gift from our gracious God for us to enjoy on a nightly and weekly basis. So it's not only a call, but it's a gracious gift to enjoy. See, rest is not just a once a week thing. It's a nightly thing. Sleep is a spiritual gift from God. Open it. Enjoy it. Use it. You know, sleep is a really freaky concept when you think about it. So, so every night for seven to eight hours, you're totally unprotected. You're totally defenseless, and unless you have a, like some alarm system, your house is, I mean, what's going on? Guess what? God's awake. God's taking care of things. God is working. And by resting, you're recognizing, hey, you know what? God's given me this gift. I don't have to be on all the time. And so it's a gift from God. Re- respond to it. Number, number three, it's a reminder from our sovereign God that everything comes from Him, through Him, and is for Him. So rest is a reminder that you're not God. He is. So put your feet up. Relax for a little bit. The world will keep spinning. The kingdom will keep growing. All your problems will still be there when you wake up. And some of them will actually have gotten resolved without you. Novel thought, right? I'm not the center of the universe. God can work without me. Good night, God. You'll still be there in the morning. I may not be. I may be in your presence. I can't even predict tomorrow. 
I can set my alarm, but I can't get myself up. You're going to have to get me up. It reminds us that we're dependent on God. Remember, right here. Once every six years, they weren't to plant anything, realizing that it's not my working the land, it's God blessing the land and blessing my work that gives me fruit. It's Him. It's not me. Jesus said this, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Sometimes we get that backwards. I'm the vine. Jesus is the branch. I'm going to work and make Jesus produce things. And he's saying, no, it's the opposite. So let me give you two. How do we distort this call? How do we distort this gift? How do we distort this reminder? Let me give you two ways we distort it, and then I'll give you some practical steps. First of all, when we're idle in our work and we view work as nothing, we overvalue rest. We overvalue it. We relish it. We revere it. We worship it. We only work so we can play because play is the big thing. We work for the weekend. We work for our retirement. But listen, your work matters right now. And rest is just the reward of good work. So don't overvalue rest. But here's the other one. When we idolize work, we worship it like a god and we undervalue rest. We undervalue, we resent it. We resist it. This is how you really know that work has become an idol is when you find rest an irritant. In other words... Your identity is so tied to your job, you cannot rest unless you're working. See, there's some people that they just can't, they can't sit. I've got to be doing. Guess what? If you can't rest, then work's become an idol. Now, if all you're doing is rest, then you've become idle. Okay? So there's this balance. But... When you, overva- when you undervalue rest, you see it as time off is irritating. It's a hindrance that's keeping you from reaching your goals of success. It's a speed bump on the road to success. It's a forced exile from what really matters. Man, I just got to get back to what really matters. Listen to this quote. Do you think the world is going to collapse around you if you rest from your work? Is your life going to collapse? Are your dreams going to slip away? If you think so, even for a second, then you need to take that up with God who created and designed you with a need for rest. He designed you this way to teach you each night as you fall asleep that the things that matter most in life really don't depend on you or your work. Wow. Good reminder. Good reminder. So how do we put this into practice? Let me give you five next steps. Here's five next steps to really kind of see. Number one, set natural boundaries between your job and other areas of life. Okay, so set some natural boundaries. Here's when I'm working. Here's where I'm playing. Here's when I'm parenting. You know, and and I know life bleeds over and we can't, you know, it's not, it, it, it bleeds, but you can't let it blur. So set some natural boundaries. In other words, turn your phone off or just determine I'm not going to open the computer. 
you know, you've got to set some natural boundaries. Number two, establish a morning and evening routine of thankfulness. The famous 18th century, I'm sorry, 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon wrote a devotional called Morning and Evening. And where he takes that, so it's, it's a Bible reading for the morning and it's a Bible reading for the evening. And where he takes that phrase, morning and evening, is in uh, Leviticus, there was a morning sacrifice to acknowledge God, and there was an evening sacrifice, morning and evening. And this is a great way, a great rhythm to build into your life. So in the morning, here's what you do. In the morning, just take a few minutes to thank Him for your work, to thank Him for the ability to work. Oh, let's not take that for granted. Thank Him, ask Him to bless your work and receive it as an act of worship. You can do this the second your alarm goes off before you even get out of bed. Thankfulness. And then, in the evening, before you go to sleep, before you fall asleep, thank Him. Lord, I thank You for today. I thank You for the good. This, this, this happened. I thank You for the bad because You tell me in 1 Thessalonians to give thanks in everything. And Lord, I'm going to go to sleep now. And you know what? Those bad boys at work and that bad girl at work, you're going to take care of them because I'm going to sleep now and they're yours and you just work it out. And in the morning, I'm going to give thanks to you and I'm going to go at it again. Morning and evening. Thankfulness. Morning and evening. Number three, give your Sundays back to the Lord for Him and His people. Don't work through the whole weekend. Don't work through worship. Don't value work greater than the God. Don't commit this sin because God will get His time. He did it with Israel and He'll do it with us. And so let acknowledge His sovereignty. Give Sundays back to the Lord. Number four, work hard at getting enough of the kind of sleep that the Lord blesses. I love Psalms 127.2. Listen to this psalm. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Psalm 127. You know what he's saying? He's saying, look, I gotta work, I gotta, I, I gotta work a little later. I gotta get up a little earlier. Because if I don't, I'm not gonna get this all done. And you know what he says? He says, when you trust God and just and get your sleep like you ought to, he gives to you in your sleep. God is working for you while you are sleeping. Psalm 3, 5 says this, I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustains me. Listen, it's a gamble every time you go to sleep. Am I going to wake up? That's why some of you, had, used to have nightmares before you were saved. You had nightmares about dying and you couldn't sleep. And then you came to Jesus and he sustains your sleep now. And now you're able to sleep without fear of death, without fear of eternity. The Lord sustains me. He wakes me up and he refreshes me. One of the things we pray at our home on a regular basis at night is, Lord, give us a deep and refreshing sleep. Yeah, that doesn't always happen for whatever reasons, but it's something we're always seeking. We also pray for His angels to stand guard around our home while we're sleeping because guess what? We're going to be asleep. And God, you're going to have to stand guard. Protect us. Protect us. 
Uh, Psalm 4.8 says this, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Beautiful passages. A whole theology of sleep. And here's the last one. Take periodic fasts from technology and screens and social media. What we need more than ever today, the real kind of rest we need, needs to be rest. Just, just, just lose your phone. Shut down the screen. Stay off social media. Not permanently. Not forever. We need to engage the world. We need to use the technology that God has given. It's all part of His common grace. But we don't, we're not idolaters. So take a fast occasionally. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6.12. All things are lawful for me. Technology, social media. But not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. That's the real, that's the real test. Food is for the stomach and stomach's for food. Technology is for the person, the person is for technology. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Technology is for the Lord. It's not for us. Okay. I hope that helps you with rest. Let me end with the last thing. If you really have rest and work as a cycle, then you'll do this last thing. Working for the king sets you free to enjoy your work no matter what. Enjoy your work no matter what. Hey. Here's your application. Here, so you got five next steps on rest. Take one of them this week and put them into action, okay? And so I know if I text you this week or something and, and, and you don't respond, I know you'll be taking a fast. You know, you've chosen that one. But you choose any one of them and just put it into action. Amen? And, and do it as unto the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Uh, you're the creator. You've called us to rest. You've given it as a gift. And it's a reminder that you're God and we're not. And so, Lord, help us to take to heart that you're at work even in our rest. And I don't know where everyone is today, whether they're, we're too idle or we make work too much of an idol. But, Lord, we all probably could look at our rest and see if we have made too much of it, or if we're making too little of it, help, help us with our kids, help us with our home, to manage our lives, to work these cycles, this healthy rhythm. And Lord, understand that all of it is for you, it's from you, and it's through you. Lord, we give you the glory. May we be productive both in work and in rest. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen.